There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Come on, girls. Let's go shopping. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. What are you looking at? I'm looking at what you're doing You're mad, you bastard. Far am you. Far am you. There's no cash here. Here, there's no cash, right? Cash, no. Robo? No cash. Where to Christ, Liz, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Walk Walk. Hello and welcome to The Last New Wave, the podcast that looks at the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, the Wajak people of Perth region. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community and pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past and present. On this episode, I interview the director of Meal Tickets, a documentary about a music scene, well, the music scene in Perth, Western Australia, and specifically a band, Screwtop Detonators, and their attempt to make it big in the world. Uh, that director is Matt DeConing. It's a fantastic film. I gave it four and a half stars. You can read my review on abfilmreview.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. I think it's a really, really wonderful film that that just looks at a band's evolution and more than that, what it means to create music in a, a place like Perth or not even just music. Um, as the film progresses, we see art being created as well. It's really fantastic and really fascinating. Um, enough about me. Here's the trailer for the film and we'll be back with the interview. So it's full on fucking clash today. I don't want any fucking Nirvana clothes dressing up, yeah? Screw top detonators. They've got it all. Youth, looks, attitude, they're a gang. All the things that are important in rock and roll. As a result of this tour, you'll potentially have major labels very keen to pick you up. Welcome. Six o'clock, you boys are playing. How's this? Got a van, a drum kit, more gigs. Because it all just happens. The detonators in the house! Yeah! You should be on it. It's called MySpace.com. Is the land of the fucking possible? They like nothing better than success. How do you write, Will? I'm never ready to go. He doesn't even write. Are you going to start doing your job properly? Are you going to just carry on being a daydreaming pussy? Everybody treats me like shit. We ain't going to win. Oh, they're winning, though. I want to be at the top of the list of important things, and I knew that if he was in a band, I wouldn't be. If you fuck it up now, you will regret it for the rest of your life. Why would you leave the wizard picking it up? On the train, down the track. How would you guys feel if Will's bad made a massive? That'd be fucking hilarious. Well, he needs to be more consistent with that persona, because if he's not, then he'll fail. There is no formula. There is no guidebook of how you do this. You've never got any money. You're always on the go. How much does the t-shirt cost? Just my fucking mental health, security, job prospects. But, you know, you've got to give yourself a chance to follow your dream. How good is this? How'd you get this gig, Will? It was fucking my ex-girlfriend. This lifestyle is definitely one of excess.
No. I, uh, I remember getting my car broken into and I thought I'd lost a bunch of hard drives and it just ruined my weekend. Oh. And then I like came home and I was like, hold on, they weren't in the car. Was this why you were making the film? Places. Uh, yeah, it did, it did occur over that time. I think they were um, probably hard drives with more skateboarding related things on them. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Having said that, I did lose a, a massive hard drive that had all the meal ticket stuff on it in 2009. I call it the great hard drive crash of 09. It happened the day Mark Jackson died. Oh, geez. Well, that's, that's uh, what, eight years ago today. So there you go. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was today, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a whole bunch of uh, people sharing pictures of Michael Jackson on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. It might have been yesterday or today. I'm not too sure, but it's at least within the last 24 hours. So there you go. Happy anniversary. Oh, there you have it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I remember it now. Yeah, um, I lost lost one drive on, on this day eight years ago. And then um, I lost another. I was so stressed out about the situation that I got up at like 2.30 in the morning and um, did like a paid job. And because it was you know so cold, be in the middle of winter, as I was rendering the job, I grabbed a blanket and I threw it over myself, and the blanket grabbed the hard drive and flicked it onto the floor, and just sat there going, "Nick, Nick, Nick." I was like, "Oh fuck!" So anything I like had backed up um, from the first hard drive that crashed pretty much went on that. So I lost like a good year's worth of various filming. But uh, yeah, I, I I recovered eventually, but I lost my mojo for quite a while after that. Yeah, I know what it's like. I mean, not not to the extent that, you know, a project that you've been working on for a long period of time gets lost, but it's still, um, like, I I had a few hard drives which had a whole bunch of music, uh, specifically Perth music, so it's all bands that, you know, they only printed a couple of CDs and stuff like that, and so it's impossible to find the CDs, and so you'd rip them and, uh, you know, obviously put in your iPod and stuff like that, and they'd gone, and it was just, just the worst. Really sad, but... Um, you know, what can you do in this digital age? It's just one of those frustrating things. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah. It takes you to some dark places. Yes, yeah. Um, so we'll probably, we'll just jump straight into the to the interview because um, your film is fantastic. And, you know, I grew up yes, in man. Perth and, you know, watching this was just like, uh, you know, I was he- really into music from, you know, late 1990s, early 2000s and stuff like that. So seeing this kind of film about Perth music scene and, and stuff like that is just fantastic. And it's huge. You know, as you say at the beginning of the year, it's 10 years of your life spent telling this story and following this story. Did you ever think it would take that long? Uh, well, I thought Dig, just as I'd started this, and that was seven years, and I thought, you know, if that's what it takes, I'm prepared to write it up for for that like, that period of time. So, no, look, I, I didn't know how long it was going to take when I started. It was all just kind of done at a whim and thinking, yeah, let's jump into this and start filming to see where it takes me. Um, so, like, after the tour, I considered making that into a feature film, which I, I kind of did. Um, but that was never going to be my debut feature film to put out to the world because I just didn't think I had the conflict and resolution required for a uh, for audience satisfaction. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't know that it was going to take that long, but I was prepared for it. Yeah, it's, it seems very um, measured, I guess, is the, the, the word I'm looking for in the sense that, you know, you've 
it covers a lot. And, you know, there's one of the notes which I'd written down, because I've watched this a couple of times, and I think it's just great. And, you know, one of the things I'd written down was that there's a feeling of maturity that grows as the film progresses. Like there's not just with uh, you as a filmmaker, but also with the, the people that you're following. Did you find that in yourself when you were filming that, you know, people are changing, I'm changing, that kind of stuff? Not like you're discovering yourself or anything like that. Not 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 that deep, but, uh, you know, nonetheless still feeling yourself improve and change as a filmmaker? Yeah, look, there were... You know that scene where George is calling Mitch up and she's like... Um, by, <laughs> She's uh, was she's given him hell about the pornos that she's just found yeah. in their new room. Um, I, I very remember clearly remember that day. It was this rainy day, and I'd just been watching Gummo, which I'm a huge fan of. I remember shooting the stuff of Georgia and looking at it, and these nice rainy shots in Melbourne. I was like, "Well, this is really good filmmaking I've done today." I thought I feel I've really kind of grown in the last few years of doing it. And I just remember it was a very profound moment that day where I specifically thought. I think I'm getting good at this. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, yeah, it was. It gets to that point where when you're 21, you're pretty carefree in life. And once you got to, like, age 24, 25, you could just tell how other factors of life kind of took over the ambition of trying to, you know, make it in the music industry and all the other factors of, oh, I need job security, oh, I need to ensure that I'm you know, not going to blow this relationship. Um, all started kind of taking more of a front seat to just general ambition of I want to be in a band or I want to make films. Um, so, yeah, that, that kind of impacts, I guess, your relationship with your fellow bandmates because people are at different levels in life with those kind of life issues. Uh, so that kind of can create conflict, if you like, which I kind of started seeing the writing on the wall there regarding everybody's kind of commitment to the band come our mid-twenties. Yeah, and that's I guess that leads into the next question, which is, you know, how is it when you're making a film about your friends, uh, with your friends, and, you know, there, there's conflicts that, that are clearly arising. There's, you know, people go their own separate ways and stuff like that. How do you stay objective when you're telling these kinds of stories? How do I stay objective? Look, I just tried to present it the way, I, the way I thought it unfolded. So if you're looking at the situation with Mitch and Charlie, for example, um, you know, Charlie's like, those are my frustrations and I felt that he needed to hear them. And Mitch is like, if that guy never apologizes to me, I never want to see him again. Then you've got Benny who's like, look, this was a shit situation and nobody was, in, <laughs> nobody was perfect in this situation. And Lee's like, look, these things happen, but life's too short to to hate on your friends forever. So, you know, to me, I just felt like I wanted to tell a clear story from Mitch's point of view, from Charlie's point of view, and the point of view of when you're a friend and this happens in your inner circle. So staying objective, I, I don't know, I was just after the truth and how it felt um, for me and for my inner circle of friends when that happened. And I guess I don't know if that really answers your question, Andrew. But no, that's, that's, that's no, kind it's of what good. I try to achieve. <laughs> and you know, if there, it, certainly if there's anything that you you want to add about the film while while we're chatting about it, um, you know, feel free to, to obviously uh, pipe up. If there's something I don't ask, please do say something because um, you know it's a it, this is a really multifaceted film. Like you, 
when I put it on the first time, I was a bit like, oh, this is just going to be a film about this band learning how to be a band in America and, and you know, that kind of stuff and, and touring. But it really maneuvers away from that in a way, quite naturally, of course, uh, because of, of what happens with the Screwtop Detonators and, stuff, and what happens with their touring and stuff like that. Um, so as a, as a Perth guy, was there, you know, we're, we're very insular in the sense that the music that's created here is great, is fantastic, and we really want people to see it and hear it. Um, but every band kind of has their own story. So was that kind of something that you were aiming for in, in regards to just, you know, telling their story to begin with and seeing what goes on with them? I think I wanted to tell a good rock and roll story that people in bands could relate to. Um, I had aspirations of being a musician myself and soon realized that the uh, lack of talent was going to outweigh my confidence as a front man. And so I thought, well, I think my contribution to music is to tell a great story, a great film, things like Spinal Tap and Wayne's World that I grew up kind of loving. So, <clears throat> sorry, man, I'm about to go on a tangent there. That's um, okay, go for it. You so feel so free to go on a tangent. <laughs> okay, cool. So, I guess I wanted, I thought that they were a good, relatable band in the sense that they were all friends, which, which kind of gave them a uniqueness. They weren't just like four guys who put in a commercial in a newspaper and said, looking for a bass player and a guitarist to complete this band. They were like good friends. They were good guys, and I thought whatever it is that these guys go through with the band is going to be something that many people around the world are going to be able to relate to. Um, so that's why I just thought that these guys are probably the, the perfect characters to tell a, a great rock and roll story about. Um, let's go on this adventure and see how it unfolds. And but hey, you... throw, throw that at me again, and I'll answer it more specifically. But yeah, that was kind of what, <laughs> what was my mentality at the start of this. No, no, it's good. It's good. I think, you know, because one of the, the things you mentioned at the end is that, you know, you, you grew up with these guys, you know, you went to school with the, with a lot of them. And, you know, there's that relationship that, that many of us have in Perth, at least, that the, the kids that we grew up with, the, the guys that we know growing up and and we follow them and what they do in their lives. And, you know, I'm certain that everybody knows somebody in a band in Perth, uh, for sure, at least. <laughs> And, you know, one of the things I really love is, especially as a gig goer and stuff like that, is seeing The Bird and seeing Amplifier and, you know, all of these, these particular places being shown uh, really, really well. How was it filming those scenes, you know, in, in being able to capture the particular uh, mood and the feel of, of live acts and live bands? Um, oh, look. That... Amplifier was kind of my youth, you know, that's how I spent my days and those nights, gritty, shitty, um, ampli- um, sorry, hard Park floor, that just felt, that was the unique Perth kind of feeling, so that's why it was so important to me to like have so much hard Park in it, I mean, there was a shot where I specifically put an exterior of Hard Park in, um, in its old state, just for the history books. Just to be able to say that was the iconic venue, that shitty venue with stinky, um, sticky carpets that we all kind of grew up playing in. So, yeah, I mean, what, throw the sorry, man, throw the the question at me again so I can hit it on the head for you. <laughs> well, what what was it like capturing those uh, the the live bands in in those venues? How was it filming them? 
and being right in there and trying to get the right shot? Um, oh, look, I think I grew a bit of a reputation as that jerk that had no consideration for the audience <laughs> pretty early on because um, I was always quite happy to get in somebody's way to jump about. Um, I was certainly, you know, drunk for a good portion of them. Um, yeah, man, it, it was just, it, we're just having it. It was just like, these gigs are playing, let's get the energy, let's get in there. Um, feeling it, feeling... Um, Fuck, I'm really struggling with this one, Andrew. Um, <laughs> no, it's <laughs> like, good. Well, I think. I don't know, like, I mean, it, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it just, it was just second nature to me. Simple as that. Like I was kind of thought of myself as the fifth member of the freaking group, just to, to quote Spinal Tap and The Simpsons. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it was a good time for music back then. Like I was just, I've just uploaded this video from New York in 2005. And I went back to, to New York in 2016 and the rock and roll clothing store that we went to has downsized. One of the famous iconic venues, which was um, the Continental Club, uh, where, where the boys played one of the gigs, is now a whiskey bar. And the Stone Crow, which was like an iconic rock and roll bar, is now like a tapas, a freaking tapas bar. <laughs> so, and yet, when you look in Perth, it's like back then the, the music scene seemed Seen, seen so alive and people were kind of regularly going out to gigs and it kind of feels like that's died out a bit now like I mean I, I'm sure every generation would say that of the next generation but back then I don't know like going to gigs it just seems so much more exciting um, and that like there's a good scene happening in WA so you know I was just stoked to be a part of that and feeling the energy and hoping that what we we're going to do would eventually make its mark in history and in the Australian music scene. So I think that's that's what was going through my mind at the time. Yeah, yeah I think you did a with good a job of, of it because, you know, for me growing up, going to the Grosvenor and, and Heidi and stuff like that, the, you know, they, there is no venue like that now. You know, the Rosemount is similar to it in a way, but it's really hard to capture what those places were to you know guys growing up in the 90s and 2000s you know it's it's hard to capture and i think you've you've really put that particular aspect at least in perth on on film in the 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 parts that they're there really well so that's you know for me as a nostalgia person that's fantastic i like that (laughs) cheers dig it (laughs) What, what was it like filming all the stuff overseas as well because you know there was a lot of touring in this and you know, was it kind of like, did they, did these guys say to you, all right, we're going overseas to go and, you know, tour this particular, you know, band or something like that, um, or show off these, you know, this art and things. Do you want to come along and, and film the, you know, that part of the story? Or was there a, a conscious choice in your behalf to say, all right, well, there might be parts of the story here in Perth that I need to tell? Because um, understandably, not everybody's going at the same place at the same time. No, look, I had to keep my finger on the pulse on what was happening. So with the USA tour, as soon as that was made, I was made aware that that was happening. I, it wasn't even a consideration. I just said, right, I'm coming. When when are we leaving? When are we getting our tickets? Um, but, you know, once the screw tops moved, it was a matter of waiting until I knew there was something of importance happening. Like when Benny, and this actually happens in the film, but when Benny told me that they were going to be recording with Charles Fisher, I was like, okay, well, Tell, tell my boss of my part-time job that 
I'm either uh, taking two weeks off or he can fire me, whatever he wants to do, because I've got to go continue filming this part of the story. Because the story arc, I mean, who knows what's going to come out of this thing with Charles Fisher, but I knew it had to be captured then and there. Um, getting Will in Los Angeles with Matt Douse, like, it had to be, I had to go there for that. Like, I mean, if I had have missed it by two weeks, I would have missed out on so much of the story that unfolded as a result of Will being in Los Angeles at that particular time with Matt Douse. So, you know, Will supporting Kasabian, I got a phone call about that a day before it happened because Will's not somebody to toot his own horn. You have to, like, give him a call. Like, hey, Will, we're out there, oh, you know, playing a gig with Kasabian in Adelaide. I'm like, what? When? How? Uh, He's like, oh, tomorrow night. I'm like, fuck, dude. Thanks for telling me. So, bam, another ticket to Adelaide, smack down on the credit card. Off we go. That's, That's pretty much how it all unfolded, man. It was just keeping my finger on the pulse yeah and i can only imagine what it would have been like for you doing that over 10 years like that's got to be it's got to be intense for you as a filmmaker trying to tell this story and you know exciting for you because you see your friends get in to do all this kind of stuff but you as somebody shaping a story and trying to tell something that's got to be intense <laughs> yeah very much so i mean it was when i that that scene where mitch and charlie had the fallout like i shot that music video for them only you know probably less than a year before it happened and there was always a bit of a tension between mitch and charlie so that that when i came up with this like card idea during the music video which was just kind of like a secondary thought i was like yeah okay let's stage a bit of a scene to utilize that room in the house but then when the fire happened i was like well geez i need a visual i was like holy crap like this music video i shot kind of foreshadowed precisely what happened now i have the visuals to kind of tell this story um, they're the kind of hidden gems you get when you do a project like this over such a long period of time. I can imagine. And did you do like live editing along the way, or did you have, you know, did you just kind of accumulate everything at the end and when you thought what the the natural conclusion was, and then compile it all then, or did you piece it together as you were going along? When I, we got home from the USA bus tour, I started capturing tapes to A, ensure that like I'd got some of the great stuff I thought I had, and B, to make a music video for the Screwtop Detonators. So I, I knew that I was sitting on some really good material from that um, 2005 tour, but minus that, like that, those tapes, I pretty much just put all of the tapes in the shelf until 2011, um, when I wanted to win this West Australian Young Filmmaker of the Year award. And so I kind of submitted my body of work up to that point, but then made a 40-minute scissor reel, well, kind of insight into to meal tickets, which was 20 minutes of the USA or Buster and 20 minutes from the 2009 breakup of the STDs. So it wasn't until 2011 that I actually started looking at the tapes, and then once I won that award, um, I put everything else to the side pretty much to just focus on meal tickets um, but then, you know, I'd get momentum and things would happen for a while and then I'd get setbacks. Like, I mean, once we got funding for the film, it took like another six months until we had the legal sign-off and could actually get the money. So there was certainly kind of, it, went, it came in leaps and bounds. There were times where I'd get great momentum and then there were times where either for emotional reasons or just for kind of legal reasons, I had to just drop the project. Um, hence it taking such a long freaking period of time 
I can imagine. And, you know, I think one of the other aspects I find really interesting is that a bit like um, a lot of the people in Perth who are into the, you know, into the arts in some form or regard, they've got fingers in multiple different pies. You know, the mu- musicians can be artists and filmmakers and stuff like that. So for you, you know, you, you did some music videos, you did some skateboarding stuff, you did some short films, and obviously you, you tried to be in a band and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'm not too sure where I'm actually going with this question, but in in regards of like showcasing what Perth is available, what a what Perth is able to do, what the artists of Perth are able to do, they're very multi talented, and uh, they need an outlet for creativity. Was that something that you you kind of stumbled upon in a way, um, specifically with Matt Dowson and, and you know his great work, his great artistry work? Uh, well, look, I think I think of it as, as coming from the hills, which is like this microcosmos of, of Perth. And yeah, coming from the hills, we went to an art school where it was like, right, let's let's have a crack at it all. Like, we if we're making music, why aren't we making music for our own films? And if we're doing that, why aren't we kind of shooting the photos for the covers and designing them? So we came from a school where everybody's kind of talents could complement the other person's towards creating a large-scale project. And then when you get out of high school and you start meeting more like-minded people throughout Perth, yeah, it just felt like there were a lot of talented people around. There was a good energy in the air and it was time to create stuff and kind of make a bit of a mark um, on the Australian arts industry from our little isolated city of Perth. So, um, I don't know, yeah, it was exciting times back then, man. I feel like we're reminiscing nostalgia like this is bloody live forever with Oasis and freaking Blur talking about Britpop. But... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's, it, yeah, I'd hate to feel like we're just some old dudes reminiscing here, but it, <laughs> it really was a good time back then. Um, and, yeah, I think people from Perth, it's almost like we haven't had that much exposure to when you're from Sydney and you've got the Melbourne people and it's all kind of fairly close-knit. But from here, it seems like anything's kind of possible coming from Perth. Um, and, you know, we've had, we've had enough international success to make that true so the role models were there the, um, the the standard had been set by some pretty good bands and some famous actors and yeah it just felt like let's let's give it a crack and see where it takes us all well i think i think the benefit is at least that you know if if you want to try something uh the opportunity is there and it's it's less costly i guess in a way uh you know, if you if you don't succeed at it, um, and I wouldn't say not, you know, I wouldn't say failing, but if you don't succeed at it, then there's the the easier opportunity of trying something else out. Whereas, like in Melbourne, you've got high rent, LA, it's expensive, just to exist in LA and stuff like that. So, whereas Perth, I think, is probably a little bit easier in that regard. That you know, if you if you want to do something, the opportunity's there. And yeah, reminiscing a little bit, but you know. Every every generation thinks that their generation was the best, and you know I think that I think that mine was for sure. <laughs> Dig it, yep. I'm uh, I'm with you on that. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I I don't know. I, I don't wax nostalgic about much before that with Perth because I guess I didn't know a great deal. But most of the bands that went on to uh, to get that international recognition, a lot of them, yeah, came from uh, from your you and I's era. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, inspirational stuff. I mean, I remember I flicked Ben Young a, a message the other night. Um, actually, this was this was a couple of months ago. But I was like, 
dude, how is this? Because his, his film Hounds of Love was just starting to get some recognition. I was like, one of the biggest bands in the world right now, Tame Impala's from, from Perth. Um, I said one of the most talked about comedians, Jim Jeffries, cut his teeth at live event, like open mic nights in Perth. I was like, man, we, we do pretty good for a small town, don't we? Well, definitely. And I caught up with um, Aaron and Dom, who did Top Knot Detective last night, did an in- interview with them. And, you know, they said exactly the same thing that, you know, it's there's a lot of talent here and, and it's fantastic and great to see. And, you know, I think I think that's the other aspect of your film, which I, you know, is somebody who enjoys art quite a bit. And, you know, particularly, uh, specifically Matt's work, you know, who's just a phenomenal artist, seeing uh, his journey in the film here is really touching and, and really moving. So, you know, I, how was it telling his story? And, and unfortunately, of course, he's passed away now. But, you know, how was it being personally involved with that and being able to bring his story to screen? The hard thing with Matt was knowing what the balance was because he played a pretty integral part in this story given that he was kind of mutually or neutrally a friend of both the Screwtop Detonators and Will. But given that Matt was going through a similar journey with his ambitions, he had a lot of insight to share on how things were unfolding. But because he is such a kind of charismatic character, there was the fear that he'd kind of steal the show in ways. Um, And there were earlier edits where Matt was probably a bigger part of this story. And I found I had to kind of tone that down a bit and make sure that the, um, the constant focus was on the band and on the music. Um, But at the same time, like Matt for me represented somebody who cut down any form of um, anything that was in Matt's way he cut it down in the, for, for the ambition of what his goals in life were. And what always struck me as interesting was that Matt Doust pretty much lived and breathed the Dave Kavanagh <laughs> uh, philosophy in life. Like everything Dave was preaching to the screw-top detonators and to Will, Matt actually implied in his life without having ever actually met Dave. So whilst it was easy for like the screw tops to just say that Dave Kavanaugh was full of shit. I kind of thought that a lot of things that Dave said um, carried value because I saw how they worked for Matt. Um, so then when you have that mentality, you're like, okay, so I have to tell that in my film. I mean, yeah, finding the balance in that is incredibly difficult. But I also wanted to ensure that, hey, should this be the only film I make, um, it also paid kind of tribute to Matt's talent. Um, what a great friend Matt was, and also, I guess, hopefully the legacy that he'll have. And I was, I was hoping that it would spark an interest with people to be like, hey, that guy was incredibly intriguing. Is there going to be a film about Matt? Which is obviously, you know, my intentions for my next project. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that because IMDb, <clears throat> it, it can lie sometimes, says that your your next film is going to be a film about Matt. Is that something that you're you're, you're working on at the moment or...? Yeah, it's it's another one of these, you know, I, I am the tortoise, Andrew. I don't tend <laughs> to get things done so quick. Um, again, that was a project that uh, comes with its own, I don't want to say baggage, but struggles because, you know, we had to go through the process of the legal sign-offs with everything with Matt. Um, obviously, you know, it's not something I wanted to take on straight away because of 
um, you know, his death was untimely. And so, you know, you have to be somewhat sensitive to that. But at the same time, um, Matt meant a great deal to a great deal of people. And as a documentary filmmaker, it's important to me to capture that sentiment while it's still there. And I'm not saying it's going to fade, but, um, yeah, I, I want to spend some time in Los Angeles next year. And, and I'm actually going there in a couple of months to start doing some interviews with people. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's certainly a project that's right up there on my priority list. Um, but I can't speculate on how long it's going to take me to do. Um, what we're kind of going through is... Brooke's in a position where she's the it kid right now, given that she's got this large grant from Screen West and she's off the back of finishing meal tickets and various other works. I've also finished this feature film, so it would make a lot of sense to go straight into doing this Matt Douse project. But at the same time, um, it's incredibly kind of... I don't want to say... It's, it's, it, it's emotionally draining sometimes making these kind of films about people that are so close to you. Um, and so therefore I don't want to be in a position so much, I think, where I'm at the beck and call of a commissioning editor needing to meet deadlines about with this film. I, I kind of feel like I want it to be a personal project that I do in my own time when I'm ready to do it. Um, so yeah, we'll see how long that takes. I'd say a couple of years. Which is, which is fair. You know, it's, I've... Because I'm covering this film, your film, specifically for, for two different festivals, um, Revelation and Melbourne Documentary Film Festival as well. And I've watched a lot of films for the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, and they're all been great. But when I've talked to the directors, you know, it's, it's taken them quite a lot of time to, to get these films and these stories told. Which is, a, I think it's a difference between, you know, a theatrical or a fiction, rather, a filmmaker and a documentary filmmaker that, you know, to get these stories told properly, you need to take your time and, and to do it correctly and, and respectfully as well. So, you know, as a viewer, I, I, you know, completely, you know, say, take your time, you know, tell the story that you need to tell. Um, so in that regard, what's it like having this film finally being, you know, added to festivals like Melbourne Documentary Film Festival and specifically for a, a local guy, Revelation Film Festival as well. It's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah, and I, I am excited because um, even the, the version you've been watching, I have my problems with it. I've actually spent a bit of time fixing a couple of things that have bothered me, uh, and I feel like now this is the film that I'm prepared to have the world watch. Um, yeah, I, I think this is about 25 drafts or so, Andrew. It's taken a very long time <laughs> to take it this way. But I'm I'm proud as punch of this film. Like I'm completely prepared to put it up there and say this is my film. Enjoy um, to the point where you know I'd like to send it to people like Penelope Spheris who directed Wayne's World One, or you know Andy Timona who did Dig, and say hey, check this film out and and think well if someone's going to take the time to spend 90 minutes to watch this, I feel like they're going to gain something out of it. Um, so yeah, look I'm. Stoked to be having a, a hometown screening. I hope a lot of people rock up. I hope a lot of people have a similar response to the one you've had to it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing people like yourself write about the film, having seen the film, because just hearing my thoughts and seeing rewrites of what's on the press release doesn't as much. I'm, I'm really wanting to see how people actually respond to this, particularly literary people like yourself. Um, 
So, you know, now's the time, I guess, man. Now's the time to <laughs> see what impact this film's going to have in the world. And then there's the whole question of what, what will it do? I mean, I've had days where I've thought, well, maybe this thing isn't worthy of seeing the light of day. And then I have times where I hear people like yourself talk about the film and what you've taken from it. And I think, well, fuck, this film's got to find an audience somehow. And how does that happen? You know, does that mean we just freely put this thing out on YouTube? Or do we keep hustling and playing the game until hopefully somebody from Netflix gives us a very small amount of money, but gives it a great deal of exposure? I mean, it's it's a tough gig, and if I was here to make money, I would have jumped ship a very long time ago. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, going back to the films I've watched at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, they've all been really good, but they're all really, really serious films, you know, about refugees, about you know, China about sweatshops and stuff like that in China. And, you know, they're, they're impressive films, but they're, as a viewer, they're difficult to watch. And I think the, the, the edge that you have with this particular film over, over those ones, I'm not saying you're in competition against them or anything like that, but there is the, you know, this is a lot more accessible. And, and that's why I think this will find an audience for sure, because it's a, it's a, story that anybody can relate to and anybody will understand and yeah okay wax lyrical about the nostalgia from perth and that kind of stuff but i think anybody watching this around the world uh will appreciate it and that's that's the power of a good film and you know you should be proud it's a great great piece of work so that's uh director matt de Koning talking about meal tickets it's a bloody exciting documentary and one that i highly recommend seeing out it is currently going to be screening at Revelation Film Festival, which is running from the 6th of July through to the 19th of July. And it's also screening at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival as well. The screening times for meal tickets at Revelation Film Festival are Saturday the 8th of July at 6.30pm at Luna Leaderville, and also on Tuesday the 18th at 2.30pm at Luna Leaderville as well. And director Matt DeConey will be there for... for Q&A sessions at, at those times too. Um, I believe that tickets are really moving very quickly as well so if you are interested uh, make sure to pick it up pretty much straight away. Uh, it's also screening at Melbourne Documentary Film Festival on the 16th of July uh, about 7.30 on uh, that particular date. I'll put links in the show notes as well for those. Please make sure to head along and see it. It's a great film. Um, that's about it from me. Make sure, you know, keep on watching Australian films. Um, head over to AB Film Review to listen to previous episodes of The Last New Wave as well as episodes of our other show, AB Film Review. And also head over to followingfilms.com and listen to podcasts there as well. That's about it. Keep watching Australian cinema and I'll see you in the next episode of The Last New Wave.